Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, good morning to you in the building. Good morning to you online. Uh, I want to add my welcome to that of Tim's. Uh, I hope you've had a good week. Temperatures dropped by about 100 degrees. And uh, another, another kind of week in the UK, another uh, adjustment to the set of restrictions imposed on us all. I took my son back to uh, university on Tuesday. He's back in the northeast. And uh, he sort of phoned us and said, Mum, I really don't know what I'm doing here because, you know, they're in sort of another local lockdown, so he can't he can't mix with anybody from his house. He can't go to lectures. They're all online. They, there's no sport, nothing. And uh, he's kind of wondering what he's doing there. And uh, The Guardian used a phrase online this week to kind of sum up uh, some of the things that have been going on. And it said this, the Prime Minister warned the weary British public to summon their resolve for a tough winter ahead. So I wonder this morning, if you are feeling like a weary member of the British public, whether weary is one of the words you would use to describe yourself. And if so, good news for you, because today and next week, we are going to look at the theme of rest in our series on healthy habits. For those of you that are joining us for the first time this morning, we are in this theme of healthy habits, looking uh, at some patterns and rhythms and practices that we want to establish a bit more firmly in our life with God so that life works better. I was in a friend's garden a couple of weeks ago and uh, they've taken the fence down between their garden and their friend's garden or their neighbor's garden and at the moment they're just kind of redigging the trench because the fence, fence was a bit faulty and a bit rotten and not really doing its thing properly and so they're going to put a new fence and, and they've dug this trench and they're about to sort of dig some uh, and put some new stakes in the ground, some new fence posts so that they can erect a new fence that will do a better job and work better for them. And actually these healthy habits, these healthy practices that we're looking at, they're a bit like those kind of stakes in the ground, aren't they? That we can then build our life around and it's meant to and it does work more effectively. So uh, for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the theme of prayer and scripture. If you want to catch up with those, uh, those talks are online. And just to remind you what my husband said, uh, my new book, Known, uh, is available in church. It's available uh, online on Amazon and uh, known.me.uk. But it's a book on identity, looking at who we are and who God is so that we can be more confident in who we are and who God is. And I think confidence is what we need more than ever in such uncertainty times, but it's written as a devotional precisely to help us women with our prayer, our rhythm of prayer and Bible reading. So uh, I want encourage you to get a copy if that's something that would help you. But as I said, we're moving on to the theme of rest today. So how are you doing, I wonder, with, with a rhythm of rest in your life, with, with building and establishing and sort of entrenching, as it were, a rhythm of rest into your life. Whether you're a parent of young children, whether you're a student, whether you manage your own business, whether you're retired, uh, whether you're a frontline worker, you may have lots of challenges in your life right now, or you may like be like my son uh, at university. He's longing for more options in your life. But this question is for all of us. Do we have a rhythm of rest built into our life? A bit like that kind of fence post that the rest of life kind of hangs on. Are we, as individuals and as a church family, wrestling with rest? If you want a, a title for this morning's talk, I've called it Wrestling with Rest. Do you have some intentional rest habits, both daily rest habits and weekly rest habits and kind of termly rest habits built into your life? Do you have control of your, of your diary or does your diary have control of you? 
Do you wake up on a Monday morning and kind of, well, you do what's in your diary for the week, or do you have control of your diary? And we'll come back to it in a minute, but do you have control of your phone, or does your phone have control of you? Now, we don't have time in our short slot together uh, this morning to kind of do a bit of an analysis of the culture that we're living in, because it's always good to be aware of the sort of subconscious and unseen pressures that are on all of us. But you don't need me to remind you that stress and anxiety and distraction are things that we contend with in a major way. They're all part of our 21st century cultural experience. And even though life has probably slowed down for many of us, not all of us, because of of the restrictions on us, COVID and all of that kind of stuff. And the number of options that we've got maybe uh, have gone down and therefore some of us will have found, and I know we have found in the last few months that we've maybe got a bit more time on our hands. Actually, the pressure from technology, the emotional pressures, you know, research would suggest that anxiety has gone up due to the uncertainty that we're facing as a nation. The pressures from technology, the opinions, the views, the bad news, the options, the distractions, the kind of lies that abound that we can have it all, they're still there, aren't they? They're still part of the, of, of, of what, of the current, as it were, of our culture. A.J. Swoboda, I don't know if you've uh, come across him, he's written a book called The Subversive Sabbath, and he sums it up like this. He says, our time-saving devices... Technological conveniences and cheap mobility have seemingly made life much easier for us. And uh, we're much more interconnected. As a result, we have more information at our fingertips than any generation in history. And yet with all this progress, we are ominously dissatisfied. In bowing at these sacred altars of hyperactivity, progress and technological compulsivity, our souls increasingly pant for meaning and value and truth as they wither away, exhausted, frazzled, displeased, and ever on edge. And the result is a hollow culture uh, that, in Paul's words in Timothy, uh, is ever learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Our bodies wear ragged, our spirits thirst, we have an ability to sit still and be. We don't have an, sorry, we have an inability to sit still and be. And as we drown ourselves in 24-7 living, we seem to be able to do everything except quench our true thirst for the life of God. We have become, perhaps, the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, spiritually malnourished people in history. Happy Sunday, everyone. (laughs) Has that cheered you up? I think those phrases at the end are quite telling, aren't they? Emotionally exhausted psychologically overworked, maybe mentally overworked, spiritually malnourished. I don't know about you, but I'm sure, you know, most of us recognize some of that as part of some of the cultural characteristics, whether that describes where you're at today or not. That's a lot of what we see around us, isn't it? We recognize the world that he's describing. And for us as followers of Jesus, there's good news, isn't there? Because there's always good news. And into the midst of this, you know, some people say that the Bible is culturally relevant, irrelevant because culture has moved on. And culture may have moved on. And culture may have changed since when Jesus walked on the earth 2,000 years ago. But do you know what? Human beings haven't changed. We haven't changed. Our desires are still the same. Our longings are still the same. Our needs are still the same. Our weaknesses are still the same. We fall for the same temptations and our failures are still the same. 
And 2,000 years ago, Jesus said this, didn't he, to all of us, to his world, to his people. Come to me, Matthew 11:28. all you who are weary and, are, and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am humble and heart in heart and you will find rest. There's that beautiful word. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Is that an invitation that you need to hear again this morning? For those of us that have a constant sense of I haven't got enough time in my week, there isn't enough time to do the things that I want to do or I need to do. Or for those of us that feel this inner sense of restlessness or a kind of weariness or a heaviness in our spirit. For those of us that are conscious that actually we just don't have the capacity to love in the way that we want to love and to be the kind of friend or family member or colleague that we want to be. Or for those of us that feel dissatisfied with our relationship with God and that we don't feel like we're really moving forwards with him. This is Jesus' invitation to us. Come to me and I will give you rest. It's what Tim was saying, you know, picking up from Zacchaeus. It's always, isn't it, the invitation. Come to me. He knows about our souls. Isn't that you know, one of the most encouraging things. He knows us. He knows about our souls. He knows about the world we live in. He knows about the impact that, he has, that it has on us. And actually, he warns us to look after our souls. To look after our souls. Because a depleted soul, friends, is a dangerous thing. Jesus warns us to look after our souls because a depleted soul is a dangerous thing. It makes us more vulnerable to temptation. You know, when our souls are depleted, we're more vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. A depleted soul makes us more vulnerable to believe his lies. And actually, a depleted soul, I'm sure many of us would recognize this, causes us to do damage to our relationships so often. You know, the way that we treat and speak to or ignore or whatever, the people that actually we love the most. So here's this invitation to rest. That's why we're looking at this theme of rest over the next couple of weeks. Because Jesus knows that as human beings, we have this propensity towards restlessness. That's part of the human condition for our souls to become restless, whether that's through weariness or burden or distraction or anxiety or guilt or regret or whatever it is. Our souls have this propensity towards restlessness. And yet Jesus calls us to a life of restfulness. You know, I think that's one of the reasons people were drawn to him. Because he had this restful soul that made room for and had room for and time for people, despite the world that he was living in. So three things from this passage for us this morning, this, this couple of verses three things about rest. Firstly, we need to believe that rest is God's heart for us. Because actually we live, don't we, out of what we believe. You know, Proverbs 4.23, one of my favorite verses, be careful how you think because your thoughts run your life. We live out of what we believe. And if we, if we want to, to live a life that has a rhythm of rest at its core, we have to believe that God's heart is for rest. And actually, if, we're not, if we haven't got a rhythm of rest built into our lives yet, then maybe we need to really 
ask ourselves this question, do we believe that God's heart for me is to live from that place of rest? Because rest makes life work. That's how God designed us. Adam and Eve, you know, they were created on day six, weren't they? And what happened on day seven? It was a day of rest. God made us to live from rest. Rest is to meant, meant to be the sort of pillar in our lives from which life flows from. Work functions best from rest. We function best from rest. Think about the physical world, world for the moment. If God wanted to, he could have made us as human beings to never need sleep. I mean, have, I don't know whether you ever think about this, but we spend a third of our lives in bed. I mean... Why did he do that? You know, we only have, what, 60, 80 years uh, on this uh, earth at best to do our best for him and to live fruitfully and to live well. Why create us so that we spend a third of our lives asleep? You know, some people try and buck the trend, don't they, and pay the price in the long run. When I was at university, it was, uh, we were coming up to exam time and I didn't have enough time to do my revision because I'm a kind of last minute person and I left it all a bit late as I approached my finals and uh, pet pills were the thing of the time. You know, people were taking pet pills, these highly caffeinated uh, pills, high doses of caffeine and for some people it managed to keep them up all night, sort of, I guess, overstimulating them so that they could uh, pack the revision in. So my friend said to me, oh, Hills, you just need some pet pills and gave me this packet of pills and told me to pop a few. So I kind of popped a few thinking I was going to have this great night of work ahead of me. And literally about 10 or 15 minutes later, I was asleep, you know, and I slept longer than I'd ever slept before. I don't know if they had to sort of, you know, I was an unusual characteristic character, but we can't sort of buck the biological rhythm built into our bodies, can we, to deny our need for sleep. God has built us to need sleep, and it's a physical manifestation of what is true for us spiritually as well. We are built to need rest. And the Bible is full of uh, instructions about rest, even for the land. God cares about rest so much that he instructs uh, you know, us as to how to bring rest to our land so that it is more fruitful and more productive. And in the same way that God wants us to have rest for our bodies, he wants us to have rest for our souls so that our souls get recharged, so that our souls get restored, so that our souls get re-energized. They need rest too. Do you believe God's heart for you is for rest. Believe his heart is for rest. Secondly, we need to remember when we think about rest that uh, easy, this word easy in the passage that Jesus says, easy is a soul word. You know, he says, my yoke is easy. Jesus doesn't call us to an easy life. I know I say that often, but I think we need reminding of it often. Jesus doesn't call us to an easy life. So he equips us to live a challenging life because we live in a challenging world. And so the point of rest is part of that equipping for us so that in a life that produces stress, in a life that is challenging, in a life where we experience grief and anxiety and those kind of things, rest is one of the things that sustains us. You know, the world's perspective on stress and anxiety or whatever is so often to try and ri- to encourage us to rid our lives of those things that cause 
difficulty that cause challenge you know let's avoid the people that offend us let's uh, remove all the stressful activities from our lives whatever and some of those things are really good things to try and do but in the end Jesus didn't come to remove trouble from life he said I've overcome the world I've overcome trouble and rest is one of the things that if it's built into our life enables us to deal with stress, to deal with those pressures that come from being in this world. And Jesus demonstrated that and modeled that and wants that for us. When we were in uh, Southeast Asia a few years ago, we had one of the most terrifying uh, trips probably that I've ever had in my life. We were, we'd been on an island as a family and we needed to get back to the mainland and the boats, these small sort of speed boats were leaving the island. And uh, we were put as a family of six into one of these boats and we were kind of at the tail end of the day and uh, the sky was beginning to look a little bit ominous on the horizon, but the, the guys, you know, the chilled, laid back, you know, Malaysians, sailors or whatever, they were, they were fine. They said, oh, it'll be fine and got us into this boat. And as we began the 45-minute trip back to the mainland, very quickly, uh, the sky went dark, the winds uh, got up, and the waves started increasing in size. My daughter was absolutely terrified as we sort of charged across the sea. She had her head face down in Tim's lap. Uh, I was just gritting my teeth, praying in tongues the whole way as this boat was sort of, we were lurching over the waves. I was, I was anticipating the fact that we were all going to be thrown overboard. It was absolutely terrifying. And by the time I got to the other side, I was so tense. It took me a few days to relax. And it kind of reminded me, I, remi I, I wondered if that's what the disciples had felt like in the boat when they were with Jesus on, on the Sea of Galilee when the storm blew up. And there he was asleep in the boat. You know, they were probably tense, rigid, wondering if they were all going to fall overboard, and he was asleep in the boat. And it's a picture, isn't it, of what a restful soul, a soul that is at rest through trusting, through connection with God, through actually a rhythm of rest in life. It's a picture of how Jesus wants us to, to be able to live through, you know, life and life's challenges. One of the best pieces of advice, uh, you know, this is, a this, is, this is what Jesus wants for us, whatever our life stage. And one of the best pieces of advice I was given when I had small kids was, you know, when you've got a baby and life is really busy and, you know, there isn't space in the day. My midwife said to me right at the outset, she said, Hills, just put your baby in a cot for 15 minutes a day, even if he's upset, if he won't sleep, shut the door and go and sit down and have a moment's rest with a cup of coffee because your soul needs some peace and quiet. And actually, it was a brilliant piece of advice that just got me through the day with small children with not much space in it. Jesus wants rest uh, as to be built into the pattern of our lives, but easy is a soul word, not uh, because rest makes life easy. And then thirdly, and it's, it's, I'm sort of slightly, you know, dipping over into, into the next chapter. We need to fight for a Sabbath. I'm sure we're going to pick up on the theme of Sabbath next week. And actually one of the seminars this evening is about how to have uh, an actual Sabbath, what the practice of Sabbath looks like. Jesus goes on in chapter 40, uh, chapter 13 to talk about Sabbath. The, the Matthew 
uh, describes a scuffle between Jesus, the Pharisees, and the disciples uh, about how they behave on the Sabbath. And in the midst of that passage, he, he announces, he declares, I am Lord of the Sabbath. And there's clearly a connection here. Jesus is making the connection between Sabbath and rest for our souls. We cannot hope to have restful souls, souls that connect with God, souls that experience his peace and his presence on a regular basis in this, the choppy waters of life, if we don't have a regular pattern of physical rest, if we don't have a, a, a Sabbath built into our rhythm of life. It's a command of God, isn't it? Every seven days, take a Sabbath. Now, some people refer to it as a day off. It's actually a bit more of that. Uh, and again, as I said, I hope we'll talk about this more next week. But Jesus made time for the Sabbath, didn't he? Rest was so important to him, the Son of God, that he made time for rest and he made time for a Sabbath. How are you doing with that one? Have you got a Sabbath rhythm in your life. I know for us, we've had to sort of revisit the rhythm of Sabbath in our lives at different seasons, depending on the different uh, commitments and the different, uh, you know, activities that various family members have been engaged with. But actually, at the end of the day, a Sabbath needs to go in to our diaries, doesn't it? And it needs to be planned and prepared for if we're going to stand a chance of building this rhythm of rest into our lives, of putting that sort of stake post, that fence post into the ground, as it were. And friends, if Jesus needed it, so do we. God put it into the Ten Commandments, didn't he? You know, alongside do not murder. Alongside do not commit adultery. Alongside do not lie. He considered it that important. And he honored God's uh, commandments, and so do we. Uh, so do we need to. And if our immediate response to it is, do you know what? You don't know what my life is like, Hills. I don't have time for a Sabbath. Or there's too many pressures on me. It's too difficult. It's not possible. I want to say back to you, friends, don't you think that God knows, knew that about you? Don't you think he knows that about us when he made that command? Don't you think that's precisely the reason he encourage us, encourages us to put a Sabbath into our weekly routines? I went to Peru a number of years ago on mission and uh, I met a young couple there that had become Christians quite, quite recently. And uh, there was no nationally observed Sabbath in, in that nation uh, 20 years ago when there was in this nation. And um, they ran a shop, and the shop was their livelihood. It was their income. And uh, the shop was open seven days a week. And, of course, you know, for seven days a week, they needed to work in order to, you know, feed their family and pay their bills. But as they began to get to know Jesus and they began to read the Bible, they realized that Sabbath was a principle that God wanted to be built into their lives. He wanted that fence post put into the ground. So they began to wrestle with this notion of rest. And uh, fairly soon before I met them, they had decided to shut the shop and to shut the shop for one day a week so that they could honor God and have a Sabbath built into their lives. And they ended up making as much money each week over six days of having the shop open as they had done uh, over the previous seven days when it was open every day of the week. God will honor us, friends, if we honor him. No matter what our schedules look like, no matter how challenging it is for us to wrestle with the notion of Sabbath. Sabbath. 
Sabbath needs to contain some ingredients. And as I said, I'm, I hope we're going to unpack them uh, in the next week and maybe this evening. It, it's not just a day off. It's not just a day of avoiding working. Actually, it is meant to be recreative. It is meant to recharge our souls. It is meant to provide rest just as sleep is a proactive thing. And we don't like just lie there on our beds and do nothing. We go to sleep and sleep does something for us biologically. Sabbath is meant to provide rest for our bodies. Yes, it's meant to have a physical component to it. That's why God says, you know, no work on a Sabbath. But it's also meant to refocus our spirits. It's why worship is meant to be part of our Sabbath, because there's something about our souls that needs to reconnect with and refocus with God in in a more intentional, slightly longer way. It's one of the reasons we have church gatherings on a Sunday. And whether you have your Sabbath on a Sunday or you have it on another day of the week, it needs to involve refocusing of uh, your spirit. And it needs to be able to recharge your emotions. It's one of the reasons why, you know, I think there's a real challenge for us with our technological devices in this day and age. You know, what if a Sabbath meant that we didn't pick up our phones or log on to our laptops and our other gadgets uh, for a day? And we did, we did things and we spent time with people that recharged our emotions. You know, what are the things that feed you? What are the things that kind of recreate you? That at the end of the day, when you've done them or whatever, you feel, you know, re-energized. A Sabbath is meant to be a day where we intentionally put those things in. And therefore, we need to take other things out, which is why they need planning. So a good and effective Sabbath needs planning. Do you know, during the French Revolution, the French, the French government cancelled the Sabbath and said every day is going to be a work day. Do you know what happened? After a couple of years, they had to reinstate it because the health of the nation had deteriorated so significantly. I think that's really significant. And we ignore this command of God and this invitation of Jesus to find and to pursue rest with him at our peril. And actually, if we come to him, that invitation, come to me, if we come to him, yes, it involves coming to him to connect with him, but it also involves, doesn't it, obeying him. So I want to encourage us uh, over these next couple of weeks to really wrestle with this notion of rest. What does rest look like for you? Do you believe God's heart for you is for rest? You know, have you acknowledged easy as a soul word? Are you wrestling with what easy looks like for you in your life? And will you wrestle with this notion of Sabbath? What is Sabbath going to look like for me? Do I believe in the principle of Sabbath? Am I, gonna, am I committed to wrestling with, with putting Sabbath into my routine and actually making it a day that looks really different to all of the other six days of the week? Come to me, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. It's the most beautiful invitation. And what would we look like as a church if in our restless world we could be a restful people, you know, and by the the nature of our restful hearts be inviting people, others, into the rest that Jesus offers for them too. We need to get it sorted first so that we can invite others into it too. So let's pray.